Hello and welcome to the Elder Tree podcast. My name is Twiggy Dawn, founder of the Elder Tree and Alcamilla Herbals. You are listening to the Herbal Educators segment, where each new moon I will be inviting a series of guests to chat about the world of herbal education, about their passions and motivations, and their dreams for the future of herbal medicine in Australia. Good morning, Christopher, and thank you for joining me here today on the Elder Tree podcast. Thanks, Twiggy. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. Thank you. It is um, such a great honour to have you on the show with us as a herbalist elder and um, someone with your breadth of knowledge and experience. Uh, very excited to get to interview you on here. Our, um, our test call ended up going for an hour the other day and <laughs> I just thought we yeah. could actually end up interviewing for hours if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah, when you get on a roll, um, well, there's just so much to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm I'm pretty passionate about it and pretty chatty about it. But, uh, yeah, look, we'll have a great talk today and I'm sure people, folk will uh, find it of interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, I wish that um, everyone could see the videos because our, our last call uh, that we had together, we just were pulling out all our favourite books and showing each other our favourite books and getting so excited about, you know, all the world the world of herbal books out there. Yeah, that that was fun. I've actually got a book here alongside of me, uh, The Business of Botanicals by Anne Armbreck. I just picked it up the other day. Very good, very good. I've got an insight into the commercial side of herb trade internationally. Uh, uh, it's a good insight into just, you know, what's... Because her um, basis was, what is this commercial trade in herbs? And she went and traveled around and discovered and talked to people and I think she went to Eastern Europe, North America and India. Mm. And Anne runs the Sustainable Herbs podcast mm. supported by the American Botanical Council. Um, she has some great um, interviews there. Uh, very good. Yeah, I'm, at the moment I'm just sort of skimming and then I always do that with books. I get a bit excited. I can only skim and then I'll come, calm down, come back and read it from A to Z. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I've seen that book online and I've thought, you know, quite a few times thought about buying it. So it's good to have your recommendation and, and I'm totally hearing where you're coming from with getting really excited whenever you get a new book. I'm exactly the same. So my first question for you today, um, the first topic that I'd love to go into, I'd love to hear what your experience has been um, in, in learning and to get to where you are now, knowing that being a student is, is a lifelong journey. But, you know, um, I'd love to hear a bit about your experience uh, with schooling and um, your, your biggest inspirations as well in terms of um, influential people that have got you to this point where you're at now. Sure, Twiggy. Um, well, it's a whole series of experiences. Um, I moved to Canberra for a little bit more economic economic opportunity in the 90s, and I was sharing a house with a friend of mine, Mike, and he was starting to hang around the Hierophant in Canberra, and he was doing some of the courses. And he said, oh, you got to come along and do, what was it, the homeopathic first aid course with Tim Thomas and Kim Dudley. So I started with that. And then I took up studying homeopathy uh, 
at the Hierophant, and they had a like, three-year program. I lasted one and a half years until I sunk beneath the waves under the weight of the Materia Medica. I could never quite get um, a feel on that. But look, never, never wasted effort. Um, later on, I did a plant alchemy course with them. But with the Hierophant, what I really picked up was, you could say it's their eclectic approach. So they would talk a herb or a homeopathic or a flower essence in one sentence. There was no um, borders or divides between these realms. And that was really good. And also they picked up from the Dorothy Hall theme of plants, medicinal herbs, having, uh, what could you say, a psychological profile, uh, a personality. Uh, Kim Dudley was getting almost into the archetypes and themes of the herbs. So it was not just, you know, put this on your toe for tinea or whatever. It was a very uh, deep and broad aspect to the herbs. So you really got to know them, you know, as intelligent entities. And for me, it really made a lot of sense. I could understand them in terms of people, you know, like as people, humans, we go through a whole series of stages that different remedies correspond with. And that made a lot of sense for me. Um, so that got me a long way along the path. Then um, still sharing house with Mike, he started studying Dorothy Hall. Now I never did her course, but I read all the books, listened to all the tapes, and we had long, long talks about uh, these plants. So he was a fellow horticulturist like myself. So we're always coming up from the plant angle. Uh, that was great. Uh, what would you say the next big jump would be uh, seeing uh, being at Matthew Wood's talks when he came to Canberra and reading his book, The Book of Herbal Wisdom. That, that experience was what got me to start growing the plants because I went off looking for these sp specific herbs, Solomon's seal, teasel, sweet leaf. No one had them. So the horticultural brain kicked in and I started growing them. So that was uh, like another development. Uh, what a really big step forward was going to Pindari Herbs in Tasmania with Ken Atherton. And you don't realise at the time how much you pick up because you're there, it's like whole immersion learning, you're talking, you're listening, you're watching, you're seeing all the things he's doing. I fell in love with his laboratory. It was great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he had plants everywhere. And it was funny because um, a homeopath had recommended to me, Jerry Dendrios had said, Christopher, go to Pindari. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> go to Pindari. You know, it was like a direction. Mm, okay, Jerry, I'm going. <laughs> when I got there, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, God, this is just like the farm. Um, we didn't have the accommodation thing, maybe the, the, the wonderful lab, but the feel was the same. You know, he was growing lots of plants. He was making stuff from it, uh, which was really good because it didn't, I didn't feel like I'd landed on Mars. It was familiar. I could see lots of correspondences. I felt at home. And, you know, it's only recently I've realised 
just how much I learnt when I was there. And uh, maybe it's a theme we'll pick up later on in, in the questions and the discussion that learning happens on these different levels. It's not just what you read in the notes. Uh, it's what you see. It's being with a person, almost like you're in their force field. You know, we don't have words for it accurately, mm. but it was like a mini mentorship, apprenticeship, if you took it on. Uh, you know, and I'm still referring back to those notes. Um, yeah, so coming back to the question, um, finally, I then topped it off with a, an advanced diploma in Western Herbalism. I managed to just get in before the university qualification uh, requirement came in. And that was with uh, a local, one of the last small colleges around. Um, I'm going to think of their name now. Gosh, how about that? I've forgotten it. <laughs> um, but it was one of those last colleges. There was, you know, we were down to three or four students and uh, we got our qualification and came in. So for me, that was um, formalizing my interest. So moving from being sort of self study in a course here and a course there to mm. systematizing my knowledge a bit more, getting a recognized industry qualification. Um, and that was that was great. And our herbal teacher there was Steve Allen, and he'd been uh, uh, working with herbs thirty years in in the trade, which is great. And he actually wrote his own book on herbal energetics, um, which is brilliant, because in our you know preliminary discussion, we're talking about how important this knowledge from people who've been practitioners for a long time that it be preserved in some way, be it a book some courses, you know, recordings or whatever, because, you know, people die and this stuff slips between, you know, slips under the waves again uh, and mm -hmm. valuable insights are lost. Yeah. So there you go. There's a bit of a potted history. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and that was something we were talking a lot about the other day is that, um, you know, it's sad when someone, you know, a wise person um, passes away and, and that knowledge goes with them. So it's beautiful when that um, that knowledge can live on in books and can live on in the students, then go on and, and kind of continue on that legacy. You know, I've had so many people interviewed on this show already that were, including myself, greatly impacted by um, Ken Atherton at Pindari Herbs. You know, he really, you know, spread a lot of... Um, seeds out with all of his inspiration and knowledge and experience and and then has spawned this kind of next generation of people from his teachings so he you know he lives on even though he's um he's passed away quite quite some time ago but he, he get he lives on in the you know in the knowledge and the minds of his students i get goosebumps when you say that yeah i have <laughs> i have enormous respect for what ken achieved um yeah, I mean, he's a quirky character, and aren't we all? Um, <laughs> but his passion there was just fantastic. And and coming from being a, a pharmacist, um, yeah, and, and his passion for making things, yeah, and for people being um, self-reliant in terms of growing the herbs, having them there as a resource, yeah, to draw mm. on, yeah, it was great. Mm -hmm. um, so I enjoyed having all those influences because it – you can compare, contrast, yeah, yeah, one builds on to another. Yeah, I think it's really important to have that diversity of inspiration and teachers and everything. Um, yeah, and I mean, on top of that, 
just reading truckloads of books on herbs. Um, that helps. Uh, and then you get to see everyone's got their own little particular niche where they're really good at. Uh, you know, some people are good wild crafters and, and putting together information. Others sort of, you know, pick up all this psychological archetypal parts of herbs. Um, yeah, it's quite good. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing sharing that, sharing a bit of your background and inspirations and things that have led you to this point. Um, so I'm curious then, you know, what, what made you want to start teaching other people about um, herbal medicine? Mm, good question. Um, it's, a bit of it is monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> so I've seen Ken do it. I saw Tim Thomas and Kim Dudley at the Hierophant do it. You know, you hear of Dorothy Hall doing it. Um, for me, because uh, I started growing the herbal plants, almost like a, a an example garden, almost like a botanical ark, I then was uh, started with just having little workshops with people come out and see these herbs, actually connecting the people to the plant. So, you know, this is golden seal, this is black cohosh, this is blue cohosh, this is blah, 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 blah. Um, and it was a real buzz to see people's reaction when they saw these plants. Now, mm. coming from a horticulture background, if, if I'm not careful, I can overlook that or dismiss that because I'm, I'm in the swim of that all the time, you know, thinking from the plant, the living plant perspective. But if someone's been, uh, they might have seen a few photos, they've learned about it, you know, through their courses and they've seen the liquid in the bottle or the pill, they may never have seen a black cohosh plant. Mm. Uh, so I think that's a, I found that was a profound thing and uh, I followed through with that for several years. Um, you know, I had 135 different plants and I can remember Ken saying, oh, I've, I've hit peak plant. You know, he, got a, he had 120 herbs and he was saying, you know, he couldn't fit any more in and blah, blah, blah. And at the time I was a bit arrogant and I thought, oh, come on, Ken, you know, he can do better than 120. <laughs> well, I got to 135 and I know what he was talking about. You just can't keep that many balls juggling in the air. You know, mm. we, we had a drought, you run out of pots, you run out of water, you run out of potting soil, you run out of time. Uh, you know, unless you're a botanic garden, you can't, <clears throat> pardon me, maintain that number of diversity for too long. So the drought then got me to really come back and focus on what I wanted to do. And I came back to a core number of herbs that weren't available uh, commercially. And, and since added to that one or two that have, uh, what we found in the last couple of years, have just dried up. Their availability has um, has disappeared, you know, namely golden seal and arnica. And we might come back to them in a bit more detail later on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what's the other thing? Um, I'm always concerned about this loss of knowledge. I really get a bee in my bonnet about that. So it's like, mm -hmm. okay, let's pass on the bits that I know, connect people with just some basic ways they can use herbs and empower themselves in their own lives um, and just keep it going so it doesn't disappear because you know we've mm. had herbal dark ages before 
Uh, you can imagine what it would have been like for someone like Dorothy Hall trying to learn, trying to set up a practice. There were really no colleges. I think she studied overseas or something, you know, and just ground up trying to establish it and all the crazy questions that would have been attracted to her. Um, yeah, so let's keep it alive in some way. Um Mm. and keep it going yeah beautiful wow there's so much in what you just said and I, and I totally connect with all of that I, I share your passion about you know um the sadness when there's loss of knowledge and uh yeah we are very blessed to live in a, in a in an era where there's so much information available um but yeah that and also like 135 medicinal species totally hearing where you're coming from too because I um for quite a few years I mean I'm still doing it a bit but like for many years I just was collecting as many different plants as I, as I absolutely could as many different medicinal plants as I could and I thought, you know, I've got to secure the future availability because what if these, you know, all these online nurseries, all rare herbs or mud brick cottage or all of these, um, you know, because I couldn't source them locally. Um, but what if all of these online nurseries just suddenly closed down or, or, you know, postage isn't available. So I've got to try to just get as many different species as I can just to, so then it's just kind of, yeah, ensuring the future availability. But then within that, each one of those plants has such its own specific needs uh its own preferred climate and you know water and soil and all of that so i was definitely giving myself way too much work and so it's been a journey to just surrender more and more to the fact that i am in a tropical climate and that growing a lot of you know western herbal medicine i've managed like cohosh you're talking about that i've managed to kill that plant a couple of times because it's not suited to this climate so i'm just you know pu pushing yeah. things uphill to try to um yeah to try to try to grow those plants so yeah it is it is a bit of a kind of oh, how many can i and you know count all the different species how many can i get to you know a bit of a a goal but then um yeah learning that stripping it back and kind of refining and growing more of certain things so yeah you've really um you've really narrowed it down to like three main plants that you're specializing in now aren't you the um three plants that are uh, that aren't being really uh provided within australia to to practitioners um isn't that right the solomon seal golden yeah, seal and arnica right. yeah mm -hmm. i started with solomon seal inspired by matthew wood and that is pretty a pretty amazing um, so I've got a, uh, it took me many years, but I've got a, what you would call it, a, a self-sustaining propagation harvesting schedule going. So that's, that's done. Uh, I'm in the midst, what are we, year, uh, year two, coming into year three of golden seal. I had been growing it for a while, but not in, you know, just a few plants and a, a bit of fiddling around and a bit of division. So for the last two years, I've been serious in maximizing the amount of propagation I can do with this plant to get up mm. to a critical stock level such I can uh, harvest annually uh, to make medicine and still keep the uh, mother stock plants going and slightly increase them. So it's sort of like um, plant cultivation versus, <coughs> pardon me, versus mathematics. Um, and you're working with the time scale of the plant you know, it's not like a widget factory. You can go buy another machine. You can go buy another shed. You can go hire another 20 people. The plant grows at its own pace. So they really teach you patience. 
Um, but golden, golden seal is easier to grow, sorry, easier to propagate than Solomon's seal because you've got, you've got seed, which I've used, and you've got about another three to four different um, vegetative propagation methods to keep it going. You know, there's root cuttings, there's divisions, uh, there's suckers, because um, it forms like a little colonial group when it grows. It just doesn't sort of sit in one spot. So for growing, that is fantastic. But, you know, once again, we've got to wait. You know, people keep saying, when are you, when are you going to have a harvest? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't know yet. Three, four <laughs> years, maybe. Um, yeah, so much of it happens underground. You know, you've got a few leaves above. Um, so not until I uh, repot the mother stock, which I'll do on a two-year cycle, Am I going to get a, a, a feel for how fast this plant will grow? But, um, but look, you've got to start. And what I often say is with these plants, even the ones with really long uh, growing and harvesting cycles, so if you're taking ginseng, for example, you know, eight years to get to harvestable size, if you're doing mm. continual propagation efforts every year, you only have to wait for eight years once. And then, okay, you're getting material coming through that you can harvest and away you go. Um, so it's worth it. Um, but, yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, but, yeah, you know, three to four years. I say three to four years. It could be a little bit less. Um, and also, you know, we mentioned briefly before that the leaf and the stem are also possible to be harvested and used as medicine, although the dosage rate mm -hmm. may well be different. So anyway, that's a bit of a ramble about golden seal. Um, an arnica <laughs> is another one. Arnica montana, arnica chamaesonis. Um, in fact, arnica and golden seal are a really good example of how maybe as practitioners and as a broader industry, we've been lazy. And with the changes over the last couple of years, disruption to supply lines, change economic conditions, a whole range of stuff, We've basically been caught with our herbal pants down that there's no <laughs> local <laughs> no no local growers of quantity of these plants. You know, we've got a few backyard growers and I'm sort of trying to move from being a backyard grower into a small scale commercial grower. Um, we just haven't got the material. And they're not hard to grow if you put the effort in to, to work with the plant. Um, so I think, you know, even though it's we've got this blip where we can't get these plants, if we take it on, it'll end up being really a really good thing because we'll actually look at our supply lines, see the value in us actually growing our own plant medicine here in Australia. So we're not dependent on these crazy long supply lines we're not dependent on you know poor folk tromping up and down the hills of bulgaria collecting arnica flowers um we're not dependent on plants being ripped out of the 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 forests like with golden seal with wild harvest we can grow it sustainably uh and create right living for a whole range of people so it's not just christopher smith growing golden seal and arnica there's room for a whole range of people and that makes sense too because then we're not vulnerable to one one place one location one person mm -hmm. 
you've got a, a degree of stability, much like an ecological system. You know, you just don't have one tree, one bush, one herb, mm-hmm. you know, or a plant. You know, you've got diversity, you've got numbers, um, you've got a, a range of, um, uh, you know, genetic resources there. So I guess, um, you know, there's a whole lot in that about creating a new economy, right living approach to our herbal medicine and taking into the aspect of, you know, where we get these plants from. Mm. Um, you know, PPC herbs, what do they grow? Is it about 120 herbs down in Tasmania? Which yeah, is they wonderful. do great tinctures. Mm. 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 Yeah, so I had some of their um, oats, green oat seed or milky oat seed tincture and very smooth, very smooth, very good. Yeah, mm. yeah, they put a lot of care into it. Um, so there you go. That's a big, long-winded answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's beautiful. It's great to hear where you're coming from. And there's so many benefits um, to that, to becoming more um, self-sufficient, like as a country, you know, um, to have our not be importing uh, so many other medicines, especially other medicines that um, do have to be wild harvested primarily and that are becoming um, rare and endangered due to um, sustainable harvesting practice practices. And, and also what happens is a lot of, um, you know, a lot of countries where they're, um, they have their local medicines, and then when when those local medicines are getting exported so much, it, it ups the um, the price even for the locals. So the locals end up not having such access to their own uh, local medicines, and then other people come in and start, you know, taking like anyway all all of that kind of um, ethical element to um, importing from other countries, and also I think it, there's there's a lot of benefit to be had for um, plants growing in the soil of the land that you're on, you know, of this, of this country, it's, um, you know, I feel like when plants are, um, planted in Australia and we, we, we're having the medicine from Australia, it's a bit more attuned to what, what we kind of need. It's been grown in this earth that we're residing on. And so it's, um, kind of like energetically, but also in the soil, um, it's just kind of attuning to what, to what we need here and now. And, yeah, and there's so much to it as well, even just on the um, environmental footprint being lowered of not having to be it's shipping over, um, you know, and all of the fuel consumption and everything around that. So us becoming more self-sufficient with our medicine is um, has just so many benefits. Um, so, yeah, I really, I really applaud you with the work you're doing and I also really appreciate your non-competitive mindset around like, get, you know, get as many other people doing it as well. Even though you're specialising in these three plants currently, you're really wanting to um, empower other people and educate other people so that they can, they can do the same. And, um, yeah, it's a very honourable thing. Yeah, you know, it's like you've got to call yourself on your ego. It's like, you know, there's no way I can grow all of Australia's needs for Arnica and Golden Seal. I say, like, oh, God, but I can be a catalyst. I can assist. I can pioneer. And um, mm-hmm. a phrase came to me the other day, almost like I'm doing proof of concept growing, that, you know, we have got the plants here. We can grow them here. Here's the cultural skills you need to get these guys growing um, because I document a lot of what I do with photographs and notes and things over the years. And it's been a really valuable resource because then you can prove that, you know, and you can show what you've done. I, I did a presentation to Torrens University students and I was able to put a slideshow together to say, okay, 
So this is golden seal, this is the flower, this is the berry, this is washing the seed, this is what the seedlings look like when they germinate, you know, all these different stages. Um, so people can see it and really get the, the, the gist of it. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to get out of these crazy economic distortions we're in at the moment where, like you said, someone's uh, uh, folk medicine in Eastern Europe, they get priced out of the market or that's not there or the government comes in and protects it because it's been over-harvested, because there's been so much demand, um, you know, because we want to have cheap herbs over here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so we need, you know, it's, it's a why have we taken responsibility as an as an adult for our mm -hmm. medicine? Yeah, yep, totally hearing where you're coming from, and I think it's a really beautiful thing, and it's great that you're sharing it with other people. So, and then that that leads me as well to my next question around um, what have been for you as a herbal educator, um, what have been some of the hidden and possibly unexpected gems? Um, you know, because you expressed that it was you came into it a bit like monkey see, monkey do, and you appreciated the inspiration of, of being, um, you know, being shown the plants directly. And so then you develop that appreciation for showing other people the plants directly and giving them a actual kind of living relationship and, you know, plant meat human kind of thing. So we kind of heard a bit about what, what led you into it. Um, but yeah, what has been some of the, um, the benefits of what it's brought to your life and yeah. Yeah. A couple of things. Well, first there's like, you get a kick out of seeing people react to the plants, like them, get interested and excited about them, want to touch them. Um, you know, it's funny, I did a talk, uh, what was it, a year and a half, couple of years ago about Solomon Seal at the Horophant, and I had plants out the front for sale. Um, how excited people got about that. Like the plants sold before the talk even started. <laughs> so there's a real hunger there, this uh, keenness to see. Um, what's the other thing? It, getting people together in that sort of environment, all the knowledge sharing that goes on. And it's not just me or whoever else is running a workshop up the front going blah, blah, blah as the fountain of all wisdom. It's people's comments and their experience and things it's quite amazing. Everyone starts to open up and share information. And, uh, you know, I've had people share great information from to me. It's like, oh, look, I've got this course thing. Have a look at that. Or have you thought about that in your formulation? Uh, profoundly generous uh, sharing amongst people of, of their knowledge. You know, oh, do you know so-and-so? Um, incredible. So, I mean, you could call it networking, but it's a little bit more than that. It's like, um, hmm. like in gardening, just, you know, straight mainstream gardening, there's always been this generosity between gardeners. In like, you know, I go to your garden, Twiggy, and um, you're showing me around and you're saying, here, you have a cutting from this and a division from that and a wah, 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 and this, that and the other. And you go home with a basket of stuff and someone comes to my garden and the same thing happens. Mm -hmm. So it was good to see that. Um, that generosity of knowledge and, and information and connections happen. So, so yeah, that that's always really reassuring and 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 great to see when it happens. Yeah, and look, you never know what 
you never know what you get out of this until a long time later. It's like, you know, mm. Pindari herbs. I was down there, okay? You can say, oh, yeah, went to Pindari, got the notes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you find over time is you come back. Like I went back through the notes again. I thought, oh, look what Ken wrote there. Oh, look, he's got a recipe there. There's such a, a uh, an abundance of generosity there and, and the things. You, you know, you still get things from it. You know, we're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it creates something that people really engage with, which is good. You know, it's not just a Sunday afternoon entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, you're reminding me I've got to go back over my Pindari notes too. <laughs> Whenever I go through them, I always yeah. get a lot from it as well. Um, yeah, beautiful. And, yeah, as well, I suppose what the picture you're painting as a herbal educator is it's not just you there sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom. You're also, like, holding space for everyone to share share their um, resources with one another and, and find kinship in that space. And, I mean, I find that too um, – often in my workshops bringing all the people together that they're the, they're almost like the odd one out in their peer group they're like oh my god I'm around people that also share this passion and you know they're excited to be in that learning environment and get to be around other people that share this interest and this passion and then sparks fly and then they're you know come just swapping uh, contacts or giving each other links to this amazing supplier or you know all of those those kind of things that happen so yeah, I suppose that the benefit is even just even beyond what what you kind of give. It's the space you hold for the, everyone else to give give to each other as well. Yeah, when we had workshop, workshops on the farm, you know, we'd have a lunch break, and rather than a really you know functional, you know, hyper functional whatever, you know, 13, 30 minutes or whatever, it's like oh, we can have an hour, hour and a half because people would yap so much. And I'd learn stuff and they'd all learn stuff. And like you said, yeah, it was a, there's a big social connection element there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So that's that's one benefit. Um, well, there's actually a fair few benefits that have been outlaid there. Um, but my next question that I love to ask um, people that come on to this segment is uh, what role you feel that herbal education is playing for the health, um, I suppose, of the world and of your community, like a, on a bigger scale than just what you're personally offering, um, like just the place, the place that herbal education has, even for non-herbalists, just for... For anyone to come along and and learn about this, what do you think are some of the the benefits and the role that this is playing? Okay, a um, couple of points. So, firstly, we'll just start with giving people the simple resources, skills, and knowledge to do some basic healthcare for themselves. Whether it's just a herbal tea or they make a a, a cream they can put on a cut, that's good because it gives them that experience that you know this stuff really does work. You know, it's it's transformational when someone uses a herb in a way and, you know, this cut that would never heal or this bruise or whatever, suddenly, you know, the herbs do their magic and it's sorted out. That experience really um, resonates with people. So I think that's great. Um mm. At a deeper level, um, trying to shift the belief, perception, whatever it is that, you know, I've got a sore ankle, I'm looking for the sore ankle herb, you know, what herb's good <laughs> for that? 
you know, the, you know, I've got condition X, I need herb Y. Um, <laughs> anything we can do to shift that because that's that modern consumerist reductionist outlook. Yeah, the allopathic, allopathic model. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. sit with herbs. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, brews you can put arnica on. Okay, that's X for Y. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more to it than that. That's just a very surface layer. Uh, so anything we could do to deepen that, I think, would be profound. Uh, because I always say that um, maybe we don't realise enough. We we are empiricists trying to exist in a rationalist world, rationalist reductionist world. Um mm. Now, I've got to remember that homeopath's name who wrote that whole divided legacy, Harris Coulter. If you ever wanted an incredibly uh, erudite, enormous answer filled with a whole whole lot of um, historical references, I think he wrote four volumes tracing the history of medicine from the Greeks right up to, you know, 1970s current times. he wrote about that continual conflict and different approach, empiricism, natural medicine, rationalists, which is our expression of modern medicine. Um, Yeah, so we need to be sticking up for the empiricism side of the argument and what it has to bring to the table. And it's not saying one's good and one's bad, but we're empiricists. And I think we forget that, or it's easy to forget that because we're dominated so much by facts, figures, statistics. Where's the scientific proof slash paper research on that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, our personal experience gets devalued. I think, haven't we got a, a, cha- you know, a chain of evidence, you know, the uh, how we assess evidence and what's supposed to be the, the best model and, you know, the way of gaining evidence and empiric- empiricism and personal experience you know it's the bottom of the bottom of the pile and yet that's been a a source of insights inspiration and knowledge for herbal medicine for thousands of years so there's my promo promo spiel for that (laughs) um as another you know when i was writing notes this morning thinking about our talk twiggy there's another thing i put down here that not to forget how big a deal it is for folk to come and see a natural medicine practitioner, whatever flavour, you know, homeopath or herbalist or whatever. Because uh, I remember my experience and what sort of state I was in that such that I got over my, you know, ignorance, resistance, whatever, to go and make an appointment and turn up. So um, because I think sometimes in our talks, with people in terms of education, like we're in the pool, we're in swimming in herbal medicine every day. To us, it's normal. Hmm. To a lot of people, you know, it's a bit out there. Like they don't know much about it. They might have seen something on a television, heard something, might have picked up a pot of arnica cream. But um, it's quite a mindset shift to look at your health and your conditions or where you want to be and decide you want to go down that path. Yeah, so I think bearing that in mind in our, in our education and how we talk to people and present it, 
that uh, we often start a, long, a lot further along the path than, than where they are. A lot of people um, feel like they have to choose between one or the other. They have to either choose the, you know, the allopathic, modern, um, you know, a GP hospital system um, world, or they feel like they, or they need to choose the the, the natural, holistic um, medicine. Where, um, especially in Australia, I've noticed quite a division between those two things. That if you choose one, you know, one's just woo woo and a bit alternative, or the complementary, or the, you know, the kind of. Um, I don't know, it seems like they're on opposing sides rather than uh, um, people seeing them as uh, something that you can, you can do both, you know, you can utilise both systems and both worlds um, where needed, you know, where appropriate. But for some people, it's a big leap to go to a naturopath or a herbalist or a homeopath or, you know, like the, the natural therapies, um, partially, partially because it's still, for some people, in, it's still in the dark ages in their mind, it's still the, the, the witches, it's still the... Um, you know the the uh, the woo woo, or they don't they don't have faith in it, or you know they're still in that like you say that um, rational reductionist kind of model, and they put more faith in one science study than what they do on thousands of years of use of a herb in in um you know Ayurveda or something like that. So uh, yeah, that that it is a big leap for some people to to have the faith to go to a natural practitioner and. Yeah, I really look forward to seeing a shift. I feel like there is a shift happening, definitely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing a bit more in- integration of the worlds and people not feeling like they have to choose between one or the other, that they can just where appropriate go to the right practitioner or, you know, seek the right assistance. Mm, good points, Twiggy. Um, I went to a Susan Weed talk. She's a uh, naturopath, mm. naturopath herbalist from uh, United States. And she said, oh, I was moving piles of my books uh, around and uh, she sustained a hernia. Now, what she did next was really uh, insightful and maybe offers a way forward. She said, I then did a whole lot of research about who is the best surgeon, you know, medical facility to do this hernia repair. She went and booked herself in, got the op, okay? What does she do next? She's the lady with the uh, long decoction herb teas. She got into her herb teas to uh, facilitate a really speedy, complete healing after the operation. And I thought that was a really wise and profound balance mm. uh, between the worlds, like intelligently using the strength of each approach. And, you know, as herbalists and natural medicine, we're not trying to put doctors out of business. We don't want to close hospitals. No. We need them. You know, they've got valuable, valuable skills. They can do things we can't, but we can do things that they can't. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, we need to get out of this um, polarising binary view of something. And, um, you know, medicine is politics. If you go and read back in the history and see what happens you know, contemporary, and it can get pretty nasty. And often we're coming out on the, you know, the wrong side of the deal. But um, we still keep hanging in there. Mm-hmm.
Um, but yeah, yeah I really um, like that you brought um, Susan Weed into it because I have all of her books and um, there's one in particular down there that's called that's all about, um, you know, kind of reproductive issues or um, mm-hmm. just, you know, the, the down there taboo topics, um, often taboo topics. And she, she'll go through, uh, you know, something um, like a UTI. So, okay, you have a UTI, mm. um, you can either choose these herbs and or this natural treatment protocol, you could, um, you know, look at it from an energetic perspective uh if you choose and she totally doesn't shame these choices but if you choose to go down the route of say antibiotics then here's how you can support that choice with herbs and with um it's not kind of like oh well you jumped off the bandwagon now you're in their hands it's like okay well he's bringing it back and how can we still support you with that choice that that you felt that you had to make or that you might have yeah had to make and i really appreciate that about her teachings is that how to work with that okay so you had surgery for that yeah how do we support you after that after that surgery now how do we help to detoxify those chemicals out of your system or or help to hit the scar tissue to heal quicker or what, whatever the the thing is and that's something that is um, very very rare in my experience to find um in books so yeah so thanks for bringing her up because it felt felt so so relevant to what we were saying about people having feeling that they have to choose one or the other yeah yeah, I, I also learned from Susan, she had like this, um, she might have learned from someone else, I'm not sure of the origin, but it was like this gradation of stages of what you do if you've got a medical um, issue. And, you know, it goes from zero to seven. You know, zero is like, do nothing, you know, read, meditate, whatever, think. And seven is, you know, heavy duty surgery and drugs. But there's all these in-between stages and and she didn't disparage any of the stages because each had a particular contribution and was suitable to a certain uh, situation. Uh, very, very good. You know, and herbs slotted in somewhere and minerals slotted in somewhere and sleep and rest was, you know, that, that slotted in. So this whole range of, you know, like you were saying, expanding out the choices and then charting a course through that uh, appropriate to each person. Yeah, very profound wisdom. And of course, Susan's one of those wonderful hippie herbalists out of America from the 60s. You know, you had Michael Moore, Susan Weed, Michael Tierra, David Hoffman. Well, he was a transplanted mm. hippie from England. Um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> and of course, um, oh, come on, who founded uh, United Plant Savers? Oh, I can't. Rosemary Gladstar. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they they just have contributed so much to you know the if you can call it the herbal renaissance or whatever. And I'm sure there's a <laughs> few out out here in Australia as well that we haven't you know Dorothy Hall, but you'd never call Dorothy a hippie. But um, yeah, it's fascinating how they um they did all that was it david hoffman had a quote i put it one of his jokes he said you know he grew up in the flower power era and he said some of us got the power and some of us got the flower (laughs) he put himself in the flower camp (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) beautiful um so then my next question that i really love to ask people is um 
you know, because we've explored quite a few avenues of, of your personal experience and your different influences from Dorothy Hall to Matthew Woods and Ken Atherton and all of these um, wonderful learning environments and, and influences. And, um, and then you also have like the, the environment that you're creating with your um, workshops and, and classes and things like that. Um, but if we kind of look, I like to look towards the future of like imagining together what is like the ideal world we'd like to see what would we what would we like to add to this or what would we, what would you like to see more of in the realm of um, herbal education in Australia mm, good good and that was a question I was um, writing on this morning and, and got a little bit more of a handle on so so basically you know we've got a you're going to be a professional herbalist you've got your basic education so you you got to tackle your sciences physiology and anatomy chemistry biology okay like okay that's in the reductionist camp but we do need we need to have a really good sound knowledge of that because you know that's the water we swim in so that's that's great no questions about that what i would then say is from my own experience of what i've seen and looking around a huge rich vein of learning is what you might call mentorships apprenticeships you know, monkey see, monkey do. But it's more than that. It's like being around some of these people who, who've been doing it longer than you have, their skill level's higher than you are. And sure, you pick up tips and tricks and things, but there's a transfer of knowledge and being that, you know, it's almost unconscious, it's unspoken, in, in many ways it's undefined just being with them over a period of time a profound um you take on stuff you take on a profound amount of knowledge or approach um i haven't got it very well described but i think we're doing ourselves a huge disservice a not to recognize that and b not to incorporate it into our training um and also uh, recognize that a lot of this, the herbal knowledge, there's lineages. Like we were talking about it earlier on, you know, Ken Atherton, Dorothy Hall, Matthew Wood. Um, now, I'm passionately interested in classical music, and you're reading all the liner notes on CDs and things. What do you see? Uh, I'll give you an example uh, from the Australian Brandenburg Orchestra. Paul Dyer heads it up and found it, right? So you read his bio trained in Sydney Conservatorium. Okay, so you've got all these basic skills. What did he do next? He went overseas and trained with Bob Van Asperen in Holland, who's a harpsichord specialist. So he went over there and he would have picked up a whole lot of technique, but he would have been in Bob Van Asperen's, I don't know, herb, you know, musical force field, for want of a better word. You know, hanging out with him, training with him, talking with him, playing music, even if they just sat in chairs alongside one another, there's still something going on. So I think it's been there in the herbal field, maybe more unconsciously than consciously. Uh, I think we've drifted away from it we're, we're, because the training in Australia has changed so profoundly and you know becoming university-based. And this is not a criticism of universities, but 
because of economic pressures and times and whatever, they have moved away from some of that sort of, you may have had that, some of that mentorship because, you know, the lecturers and staff are just under so much pressure of what they've got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to bring that back. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's post-qualification, you go and hang yeah. out with someone. Um Internships, like doing doing more kind of one on one internships and one on one mentorships, be, being with them, listening. Whether you know you're just sitting in the corner on a console, mm. listening. How do they talk? What do they do? Um, I think there's an enormous amount of learning there that um, furthers herbal education. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think what's also sad is. We've had huge changes in education in Australia over the last oh, was it close to 10 years. All these little quirky colleges that were all around the place have largely disappeared because they can't mm. work in the current regulatory environment and the, the demands for audits and this and that and curriculums and plans and whatever. You know, I've talked to some of these college owners and they just had to put the shutters down because they couldn't deal with that whole expansion of admin side and you know you have to be aligned with the university now i can hear all sorts of there's all sorts of good argument and points about yeah we're gonna we're making the profession more professional and this and standardizing courses and mm. yeah 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 but we have you know once again it's like an ecosystem in all those little colleges and there are about 40 of them all around australia they all had you know, their own little way, their own little flavour. And those colleges built the herbal medicine uh, profession in Australia. So, yeah, I, I mourn their passing and their diversity and the fact that they were dotted all around in all sorts of areas and made it more accessible for people to access that training. And I get the point about, yeah, you've got to cover your anatomy and physiology and your core subjects so that there's a, a base proficiency of knowledge tick. You know, no, no argument with that. But all this sort of, you know, little diversity of flavour and, and, and specialities where they had particularly key lecturers or whatever, yeah, I think that's a great loss. Um, mm. Yeah, so there you go. That's a good answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely hearing you on that. I um the very first college that I enrolled in and gosh now I can't even remember the name in Fremantle. Um they closed down because there was there was it was going to be coming soon that they were have going to have to roll over to being able to offer um degrees. They weren't going to be able to offer the um advanced diplomas anymore. So you know, I um I had to pull out of that school, and then I enrolled in Paramount College in um in Perth, and I got a few years into my degree before they closed down. Um, they couldn't meet the demand as well, and so then I enrolled in Southern School of Natural Therapies, which then amalgamated into Torrens University, and kind of all yeah, I've I've really I've kind of been trying to get in the slipstream of these of these colleges and and getting spat out the other end and then not having that college the next college recognize the work from the last one and so 
yeah, I've been hopping from one to the next as they're dying almost. <laughs> so I've really been oh, watching that that process happen um, and, and have mourned that, that loss of those smaller colleges as well that are just, you know, Paramount College was just natural therapies, like that that first college I enrolled in in, in um, well, I think it was Coogee actually near Fremantle. That, they were also like a natural medicine college. They were focused primarily on herbal medicine. Um, and, yeah, and then so then and then coming into Torrens and I don't want to just discuss credit Torrens because it's a wonderful university but they are offering lots of different other degrees and qualifications so you're not immersing in just a natural medicine environment um, even though there are lots of lecturers that are obviously um, natural medicine lecturers and herbal medicine lecturers but the actual school itself you're not like going to just a natural school kind of thing there's also like all the, the beauty care and the digital um, graphic arts and all of these other things that yeah it's a totally different force field it's not just like oh I'm going to my uh, Hogwarts school of herbal witchcraft <laughs> 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 which um that's funny my my yeah. daughter she says oh the elder tree is going to be the um why don't you just call at Hogwarts because it's going to be the school of magic. <laughs> um, ah, but yeah, also lovely. the other thing, other thing that I was getting from what you were saying is what you'd like to see for the future is a whole bunch of ships, like mentorships and more mentorships, more apprenticeships, more internships and, um, you know, all of that. And that, like that one-on-one -on -one environments where you're learning from someone that's come from a lineage and you know their lineage, they're not, um, and you can be connected to that. Um, so, yeah, I really appreciate that as well where you're coming from because so much gets lost if you're just in a classroom environment and you're one of 10 or 30 other other students you can't have that like that real one-on-one -on -one experience with the teacher so um yeah so I really appreciate that and I, I hope to see more of that in the years to come as well mm. yeah we can we can learn from the arts world because they do it mm. Yeah, like I talked about the example, musicians, they do it. Artists do it. You know, they'll go overseas on a study tour and they'll they'll go to a particular art school that's got a certain strength that might be in drawing or painting or pottery or what have you to, to pick up that particular skill. And you read biographies of these people and it's all, there's a huge amount about the people connection, you know, I met so-and-so and he showed me this and blah, blah, blah. It's not like, oh, I read book A and I learnt how to hold my brush a different way. It's that <laughs> people connection. Yeah, you know, mm. or maybe spent months in France just going around through the galleries, looking at paintings, under, you know, being in their force field, you know, the real painting, in front of the real painting. What's this like? What does this, how does it make me feel? You know, you're not just looking at technical brush stroke work or whatever. I think we can mm. we can use a lot of that, yeah. Yeah, so embodied learning, embodied blend. learning spaces. Mm. 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 You know, the core sciences and, and proficiencies that we do need to have very important, but mm -hmm. the real um, the real the learning that really progresses us is um, you know going and seeing the plants or or hanging out with these different people and you know a diversity of people you know there's no one right way you know i'm not running down the streets with a matthew wood banner saying everything you know everything's got to be what matthew wood says or everything's got to be as you know so and so ken atherton says it's like you you want to have all the get your basic training done and then you want to have as many diverse interests uh, influences as possible 
because uh, it's a really broad church and, and, you know, there's no one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, you're you're a bit of a patchwork quilt of all of the influences you've had that have led you to this moment. And then what you share is your own unique um, offering based on all of those influences and teachers and mentors that you've had throughout your life. Mm, that's exactly, exactly what artists do. You know, they have all these influences and then assimilate it and then they get their own style, their own approach, their own take, and off they go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. I really like that um, that idea of kind of looking at other models at, at the arts industry or um, other things like that because, yeah, they're not all just learning by books and on the computer and that. So we need to have more learning environments that are embodied, um, you know, uh, embodied teachings where you actually get to really feel feel the feel the teacher and feel the practice and feel the actually observe and be part of the harvesting rather than just it being a um, kind of rote learning experience of like, okay, you tell me something, I say it back to you and now I've officially learned it. It's like so, so far beyond that, actually having, mm. yeah, real life hand, hands on um, embodied experiences with education. That's um, yeah, that's the future we're going to be creating. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's a good point. Like if you're in a clinic setting, you can have all this rope learning, but you're going to be able to recognise what black cohosh looks like expressed in a person. Mm. Um, mm. You know, uh, Tim Thomas from the Hierophant is one of my mentors and, and he says, you know, when you're talking to someone in a clinical setting, he says everything they do say be everything is giving you clues about what the remedy is, who they are and what the remedy yeah. is. He says everything. And it's mm. like, so you've got to be in that mindset of picking up, being perceiving, picking up clues. You won't find that in a book. You won't mm. find that expressed in a book. You've got to be able to see it. How, how does it manifest in a person? How does a herb manifest in a person? Mm -hmm. uh, rather than just thinking, uh, a strict, you know, medical condition diagnosis. Oh, they've got plantar fasciitis or whatever. I'm going for Herb X. Um, so how does that manifest in that person? W what are they doing and being and saying? And all these clues and then, okay, ah, where, you know, what state is that person in? Yeah. What plant state? There you go. What plant state is that yeah. person in? Oh, that's wonderful that you've had teachers um, like Tim to teach you that. I've, I've never actually had a, a teacher um, say those things to me, but I've kind of developed that myself um, just of my own accord with the observation. Someone will walk in the door and I'll just know as soon as they start talking, I'm like motherwort, just the way the look on your face, the way you your hands, you, you know, your body language, the things you're saying, you're saying key things that are like, oh, yep, yep, no, I knew it from the moment you walked in, you just had motherwort all over you and all, all of the, you know, and I could sit down and go, oh, what's there? you know, what's the kind of map it all out on a cellular level to try to come back to the same point. But, um, yeah, just through observation, um, it just, you know, can, can see so much and the nuances of that um, if you're not just going by the, the textbook method, um, you know, and you actually just sit back and, and use your own observation and go, okay, and your own intuition as well. You know, there's um, few and far between nowadays the teachers that really teach um, intuition 
you know, really, and, and also having that backed up with, like you say, with all the sciences and the understanding of anatomy mm. and physiology and, and not just going um, through, uh, uh, through intuition alone, but um, there's not that many teachers nowadays that, that teach you to connect with that intuition and how to really attune to what the patient's needing. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, it's funny. It's like, it, it, so I trained in horticulture originally with the Adelaide Botanic Garden and I just noticed my sort of learning over the years once I'd finished that qualification and I remember the day I was in a garden working and I just got the realisation that the answer to my horticultural questions is going to come from observation and interaction and, and intuition rather than rushing home looking for the book that had the answer on page 373 because you can never mm -hmm. get that precise answer because there's not enough books and not enough stuff written. It's like, okay, learn from what you see and be able to deduce and, and work your way through the problem rather than trying to rush off and, and pick up a textbook. So it's like the textbooks get you a long way, you know, like the, the first stage on a rocket, you know, it gets you up off the ground and you get you moving. The, the further stages of learning you're going to have to learn how to learn and, and, and influences and mentors mm. um, and go from there. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, learn how to learn. I really like that. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to start looking at wrapping things up now, even though I feel like we could just spend weeks talking about all of this <laughs> and comparing our book collections and everything. And, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I just I really, really enjoy talking with you about all of this um, this topic. There's so, so many rabbit holes we can go into as well. Um, but I'm just I just want to ask you um, about any of your current projects and offerings um, with Tinderberry Mountain Herbs or um, in any other space, maybe at the Hierophant. I'd love to hear about any of your current projects and offerings um, and also any potential upcoming workshops or projects or offerings that you have. Sure. Um, so I've talked a bit about the, you know, the principal specialist herbs I'm growing um, so my website is Tindery, T-I-N-D-E-R-R-Y, Mountain, M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N, Herbs, all one word, .com.au. I'd encourage people to go there, sign up for the newsletter, and that'll keep you current with what I'm doing, courses, things, plant developments. Uh, I have a natural skincare range that's on the website there. Uh, where I grow all the herbs, handcraft the products. Thank you, Ken Atherton, uh, Pindari Herbs, who taught me, you know, his week-long immersive course. So I've carried his recipes on and fine-tuned them, herbally improved them. Mm -hmm. um, also, I do in-person talks coming up at the Hierophant, 26th of February, making herbal syrups. Mm. Uh, and gradually on my website, I'm putting up digital versions of my courses so you know if you're not in new south wales or in canberra or wherever or the, the date doesn't suit you can still access that learning in a digital format so at the moment i've got uh, three essential natural remedies for first aid is up there currently working on herbal teas for modern times that will be up and soon i'll be creating a facebook group for people uh, at all levels who want to uh, 
have a like a private group who want to dig more into how to grow medicinal herbs and make products from medicinal herbs. So that's something to, to keep an eye out. And um, if you want a, a free ebook on herbal skincare, head over to my Facebook page, Tindery Mountain Herbs, and you can download a free ebook there as well. So that gives you heaps of things to do. Uh, and that's it, yeah, potted picture. I recall we were talking about, um, and I'm going to hold you to this, you were talking about developing a mentoring course for advanced growers of medicinal herbs. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment it exists in language only. Yeah, it exists in language only. So this is um, this is the deeper end of the pool. So serious, serious growers of medicinal herbs who, who want to focus on a few things because uh, it's so vitally important we build up a range of growers here in Australia and orientated towards uh, higher value herb products and orientated towards such that people can make a decent living from it. Uh, and so it's like a mentorship where you, you're guided, helped, problem solved, a uh, bit of teaching, uh, lots of interaction. So yeah, still in the development phase, but um, I really want to get that one off the ground. Mm. Beautiful. I'm gonna I'm gonna be sending you periodic reminders about that just to make sure it happens because <laughs> I think Please yeah do. it's a really really beneficial and you know we we kind of look back at Ken Atherton as a legend and so many people don't get that recognition within their lifetimes as often after they pass that they're really given that that legend status. But when I look at um, what you're offering and um, how unique and how um, necessary that is and how much that's going to benefit future generations, um, you know future generations of practitioners future generations of patients are going to have these medicines available you know just yeah the value in what you're doing is um is amazing and so yeah you're a living legend and uh, i think that you know people should be making the most of the opportunity to learn from you while while you're here you know um because yeah it's always the sad thing when when you only find out about someone once they're long gone and you're like oh i wish you know even even ken Athert and i i did his week-long seminar the one that happened after he'd passed that was held by, um, you know, Sandra Parker um, and Linda Bates. And yeah, I missed out on getting to actually learn with him. So I'll encourage all of our listeners to, um, you know, to, to learn with you while they can, because you never know, never know what the future holds and when someone's not around anymore. So, and I also hope that you make a, mm. a book sometime because that's such a great way to immortalize um, knowledge. So yeah, I'll be I'll be a little nag mm. sitting on your shoulder saying, "Come on, where's the mentoring course for advanced <laughs> growers of medical herbs? And when's when's your book gonna come?" <laughs> Thanks, Twiggy. Uh, yes, you have permission to nag. Um, okay, great. Yeah, you know, there's nothing worse than having regrets that oh, I wish I had done that. You know, like I've had a few about I had an opportunity to do Dorothy Hall's course and I didn't. Now, I've sort of come to peace with it, but it's like, like you said, this stuff doesn't hang around forever. You know, circumstances mm. change. People die. Unfortunately, herbalists die. We don't want to, mm. but they do. <laughs> you know, and those opportunities disappear. And, um, yeah, I just say and strongly encourage everyone, if you want to do it, do it. You know, don't mm -hmm. don't hesitate. 
Yeah, beautiful. Yes, keep nagging, Twiggy. Keep nagging. I need more <laughs> I nagging <will>. there. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. You can ask my partner. I'm a great nag. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Um, so before we wrap up for the day, is there any anything else? Is there only just one thing you might like the listeners to hear? I mean, you've already shared so much um, that I'm sure is going to inspire people, but is there just any kind of last last little sentiment you'd like to offer to our listeners? Just grow some herbs. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to be on an industrial scale, but have some herbs growing with you, even if it's in a pot. Something, something some connection there uh, to keep the connection mm. with the plants. You know, you don't have to get 135. You know, that's just crazy. But um, what's that? Um, Michael Moore had a saying. He used to, if he praised someone, he would say they had a great brain, a great brain and dirty fingernails, meaning yeah. that <laughs> they had the intellectual side, but they also had the groundedness and the connection with the plants. Yeah. Mm. So... Uh, that's what I would encourage everyone, you know, keep growing, keep sharing. Beautiful. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful, wonderful advice. I completely concur with that. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for joining me on the show here today. And um, yeah. And as you, I'll, I'll include a bunch of links um, for the listeners um, to your offerings and then just let us know once you do develop those Facebook groups and as you have new offerings come up and we'll share them onto our um you know, onto our mailing list and our social media and things like that, because I'm sure that the, there'll be listeners uh, eagerly awaiting um, the manifestation of the next the next offerings. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks for your time and thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Twiggy. Uh, great opportunity and great to uh, great to talk about these topics and and get the message out to the people. Mm-hmm. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Herbal Education segment of the Elder Tree Podcast. Stay tuned every new moon as I interview amazing and inspiring herbal educators from around Australia. To find out more about the Elder Tree, you can go to our website, which is theeldertree.org. And through our website, you can subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow our journey on Instagram and on Facebook. Thank you again so much and have a most wonderful day.